We have spent the summer focused on a roughly 400-year period in the history of ancient Israel, from the rise of the Assyrian Empire in the early 8th century and its overthrow of the northern kingdom of Israel, through the domination of Nebuchadnezzar, his destruction of Jerusalem, and the 70-year exile in Babylon, to the conquest of King Cyrus of Persia and his edict that allowed the Jews to return home and rebuild their temple. This summer has been a 12-week crash course in church history. If you've missed any of it, go back to Facebook, go out on the church website, look at our podcast, listen to our podcast. You can review all of those. As we come to this 12th and final minor prophet, we enter what is called the intertestamental period, beginning with Malachi, today's prophet, and going to John the Baptist, that strange locust-eating prophet whose voice introduces us to Jesus. These next 400 years stitch together our Old and New Testaments. For Christians, it is the bridge. This time is the bridge between Jewish history and our own Christian legacy. So in broad terms, if you've been paying attention, trying to learn, maybe you will remember Assyria to the north, and then Babylon to the east, and then Persia, each presenting multi-generational geopolitical stresses on the tiny nation of Israel. Those political and cultural, economic and military pressures were not unrelated to the theology that was being developed in Israel. That's what I want you to hear today. Those pressures, economic and cultural and military and political, were not unrelated to the theology that was being developed in Israel. The theology produced in those centuries is foundational to that way of Jesus which caused his death at the hands of the Roman Empire another four centuries later. It is a theology that makes fundamental distinctions between the empires of this world and the kingdom of God, between political strong men and God's Messiah, between a view separating peoples and their religions and one that welcomes all in that radically inclusive kingdom which Jesus preached. It is a theology that was and is inherently political, necessarily in conflict with the powers that be and the narratives and myths of national pride. That theology, distinctively Jewish and distinctively Christian through our Jewish Messiah, Jesus, that theology was not born in a vacuum. As we become aware of the multi-layered tensions out of which Jewish religious life was born, we are called to be alert to those same tensions present in our day. The easy call to trust money and military might, one of the constant complaints challenges of the prophets, the easy call to trust money and military might, the dangerous call to let authoritarian figures lead us, the corrosive power of assimilation of ideas, the insidious enticement of partisan loyalties over allegiance to God alone, the short-sighted reliance on comfort and worldly success, the arrogant claim to God's exclusive favor 
We have heard that through all the minor prophets through all this summer. The pressures against which Jewish rabbis and scholars rebelled as they created a theology of liberation and confident trust in the wisdom of the one true God, those pressures are with us today. It's why this summer series has been so interesting to me as we listen to the pressures 2,800 years old. It's the same issues today. The challenge we face today will either strengthen our faithful resolve to understand that the wisdom of God is the countercultural way of Jesus or those religious powers of our day, those who are so anxious to meld church and state, they will destroy that distinctive way in favor of a Christian nationalism that cannot distinguish patriotism from faith. The prophets and Jesus, whose message was taken from those prophets, they call us to resist. They call us to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. It is our calling in faith. Now, I'm telling this as a smooth story. In reality, it was not smooth at all, but I think my overarching narrative is fair. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and as we read Malachi today, we are on the edge of the powerful influence of Greece, the next world power on the scene, Greece with its Hellenistic culture and philosophy, that heady philosophy of Socrates and Plato offered a dualistic alternative to the Christianity that the Apostle Paul so rigorously preached. Again, theology was not born in a vacuum. Paul was preaching against the philosophy known in his culture that day because of the influence of Socrates and Plato. And Christian theology is not that. You have to read. You have to read. And then Greek culture gave way to the Pax Romana, the grotesque abuse of that word peace, which Rome imposed on the ancient world. And into that cauldron of worldly power, Jesus marched, offering peace only through self-giving love. It is a theology we love to preach, but a theology that few have truly tried to practice. It was a head-to-heart confrontation that led Jesus all the way to the cross. You hear what I'm trying to say is that the theology of the Jews and our Christian theology is theology that comes out of the culture, out of the pressures, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Russia, the United States of America. What are our narratives? What are our myths that are trying to shape our theology? Malachi, if you will allow him to summarize all we have learned this summer, sounds about, about as preachy as preachers get. What the culture needs, he says, is the church. Then, now, there, here, an alternative community offering an alternative narrative. It is only in the church that we learn to speak love over power. Mac Duncan kept telling us, keep preaching what you preach. It's the only place I hear it. 
The church is the only place we will learn love over power, forgiveness over revenge, principle over partisan loyalty, God's wisdom over the alluring and perpetually failed ways of the world. Because that theology was developed in the crucible of the politics of his day, Malachi's call to return to the life of faith, a practice revolving around the house of the Lord. That call sounds radically contemporary in my ears. At the center of a healthy cultural life, there needs to be a healthy religious life revolving around the institution of a healthy church. May it be so. Amen. I stole the line from the late Rachel Held Evans, who borrowed it from Kathy Escobar's church in Denver. I want to be a church where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. I want to be that kind of church, too. Let me steal a few more of the words from Rachel's thoughts about what it means to be a community of faith. I want it to be a place where we can tell our stories, confess our sins, discuss scripture, ask questions, disagree with grace, grieve, heal, create, follow Jesus, and rally together to do justice and love mercy, not just with our words, but with our actions. I want to be a community that partners with people and organizations serving those on the margins. That's it. That's what I want for us right here and right now. Malachi called the people to a renewed commitment to faith, a renewed commitment to sacred community, a renewed commitment to be the church. Now, that's not exactly how he put it because church wasn't really in his vocabulary, but I just know that's what he meant. And I want to join Malachi today with a resounding yes. I'm with you, prophet of old. People sometimes ask about this whole co-pastoring thing, to which I always respond, I don't know how people do this job alone, and I don't know why they do this job alone. We are better together but now I'm not just talking about pastoring a church with my partner in life, but us, the church, the people of God known as Park Road Baptist Church, we are better together. I know people can live a life of faith, can be profoundly spiritual, can make a difference in this world all by themselves. But I don't know how they do it, and I don't know why. They feel a need to do it alone. When there's a chance to be in community together, where there's an opportunity to partner with each other, where there's a possibility to share our joys and carry each other's burdens, when there's an option to explore and question together, and when there's a time to serve together, why would anyone do this alone? I think about all those folks that travel their faith journey alone, and it reminds me of one of my favorite Mumford & Son songs, Hopeless Wanderer. But hold me fast, hold me fast, because I'm a hopeless wanderer. 
So when your hope's on fire, but you know your desire, don't hold a glass over the flame. Don't let your heart grow cold. I will call you by name. I will share your road, but hold me fast. Hold me fast because I'm a hopeless wanderer. I don't want to be a hopeless wanderer. It's our annual kickoff Sunday. Thanks for coming. Two weeks ago, my sermon title was, There's Never Been a Better Time to Be the Church. And that would have been a good title for today as well. Malachi was preaching in a kind of in-between kind of time with exile somewhat behind them and more unknown yet to them, chaos way out in front, it was a bit of a time to take a breath, to renew, to restore. And Malachi called on the people to re-up, recommit, reorient, rejoin, and return to the faithful commitment to an organized religion, believing that the power of their togetherness would strengthen the culture. I join Malachi today in urging us to follow suit. With a global pandemic somewhat behind us and having a sense of all the chaos that yet looms in our future, I want us to breathe and to restore and renew. And I want to call us to re-up, recommit, reorient, rejoin, return to the faithful commitment to an organized religion because I believe the power of our togetherness can strengthen the culture. Don't be a hopeless wanderer. I know for a fact that it strengthens my personal spiritual core. I pray that this place does that for you too. And if our collective cores are strengthened, then just imagine what we can do and be together. You don't have to go this alone. Malachi put it plain. And what does the one God desire? Godly offspring. So yes, bring your children to church and teach them the stories of Jesus. Bring your young people to church and help them start connecting their own lives to the way of Jesus. But we're all God's children. All of us being called to be godly offspring. So bring yourselves to this place. Sounding a bit preachy today? Well, it's what you pay us to do. (laughs) But we don't mind because we honestly believe in this place. We believe in a God that calls us together to do God's work and be God's goodness among all of God's children. You can do it alone. But I don't know how and I don't know why anyone would choose that. But let's be honest, community is not always easy, nor should it be. If we're going to call on each other to bask in the love of God and follow in the way of Jesus, it's going to make us uncomfortable sometimes. For the love of God and the way of Jesus can be overwhelming and aggravating and discombobulating and disorienting. Well, if I'm going to experience all those things, I certainly want to keep good company with others walking that same path because there's nothing worse than being discombobulated 
alone. So let us make this a safe space to be discombobulated together. I want us to be a place where everyone is safe, but no one's comfortable because the world is too dangerous for us to be com comfortable. So let me return to that beginning again and see if you would join me in kicking things off and re-upping and restarting again. I want it to be a place where we can tell our stories, confess our sins, discuss scripture, ask questions, disagree with grace, where we can grieve, heal, create, follow Jesus, and rally together to do justice and love mercy, not just with our words, but with our actions. I want us to be a community that par partners with people and organizations serving those on the margins. There's just never been a better time to be this kind of church. May it be so. Amen.